So turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 24. As we continue along in our study, we will begin by reading verses 1 down to 21. This chapter does have 67 verses in it, uh, but don't worry, we will uh, get through it. We're sort of taking it in blocks or chunks today, uh, since uh, there's sort of a retelling of the story a couple of times as we go through uh, the chapter this morning. So Genesis 24, I'll begin reading in verse 1, again down to verse 21. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, excuse me, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred And uh, who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking. That behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman, excuse me, the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my lord. Then she hastened and let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she hastened and emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Lord, thank you so much for the reading of your word, and we trust that as we 
consider it together this morning that you will teach us not only what it says, but what it, it speaks and means to us today and how you want us to apply this truth to our lives. So Lord, speak to us for your servants are listening and we are here ready, willing, and able to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So an amazing passage of scripture, one of the most poignant stories in the Bible. And it just so happens that this chapter, which is almost halfway through, there's 50 chapters, so chapter 25 would be halfway, but this chapter, chapter 24, is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. And it's one of the most significant. Now, as we met two weeks ago, uh, we had considered chapter 22, where Abraham was commanded by the Lord to sacrifice his son Isaac, take your son, your only son, and offer him up to me as an offering. And as we went through that study, we talked about this thing called types and figures in the Bible, where the story means what it means and says what it says, but there's also a foreshadowing of things that were to come. And we looked at how Abraham was, uh, and Isaac became a type of the father and the son, and how our heavenly father offered his son as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, which is where Abraham took Isaac, of course. And Mount Moriah, we know, is Mount Calvary. And so the enactment that took place there over a thousand years in advance of when Jesus would be crucified on that very same hill in a, in a similar manner to what was described for the way that the offering would take place was just so instructive for us. And it's just a, a pointer to the fact that God loves us so much that he likes to give, give us these little foreshadowings so that we can understand that he's uh, weaving in what we call the scarlet thread of redemption all throughout the Bible, even from the very beginning from the book of Genesis, so that he's pointing to the fact that one day the Messiah would come. One day the Messiah would come and redeem the world from its sin through an innocent sacrifice. So today, we have in the pic a picture in the study that we're looking at, a picture of the, the groom and the bride. And there are many, many parallels in this passage of Scripture to the relationship between Jesus and his church. And so we will look at that as we go through, but just to sort of attenuate your antennas as we go through the study this morning. We're going to break the passage down into six sections. The first section, verses 1 through 9, is the servant is commissioned and sent out. The second section, verses 10 through 27, the servant goes out. The third section, beginning in verse 28 through verse 31, the bride tells her family about the servant. Verse 32 through 48, and we'll repeat these as we go through, the servant gives his testimony to the family. In verses 49 through 60, the servant takes the bride to the husband and in verses 61 through 67, the bride meets her husband. So this first section, verses 1 through 9, the servant is commissioned and sent out. So Abraham was old, as we just read in verse 1, well advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So we know that God, from the beginning of the time that God spoke to Abraham, to Abram, before his name became Abraham... And then throughout his life up until now, now Abraham is 140 years old, 
at this point. Remember, God first spoke to him when he was 75. So that's a long time to be walking with God. And his son Isaac was born when he was about 100 years old. He's 140, so that makes Isaac 40 years old. So that gives you a little bit of a sense of bearing of time. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. There was nothing that God hadn't blessed Abraham in. As Abraham, you remember when he had made poor choices and he had gone down to Egypt early on in his life, even through that debacle where he asked his wife to lie for him to Pharaoh so that he wouldn't be harmed and you know he knew that they would see her beauty and all of that and yet God protected him through that and sent him away with even greater blessings than he went in with. And then the Lord did that many times throughout Abraham's life. And so remember earlier that God said to Abraham that he would bless, bless him and the blessings, we should never think of blessings as just being material or physical or monetary. That's only a small piece of it. And in fact, when you read through the scriptures, and I'll challenge you as you read through the book of Psalms and it talks about blessing and being blessed, it's always primarily speaking of the spiritual blessing, of the blessing of relationship with God and of God being our God and of we being his people. That's the definition of blessing, not having all the stuff that we want and never being in, in want. And in fact, you know, Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Why? Because he's my shepherd, not because I have a full bank account, but because I have a relationship with God. Now, Abraham was old and well advanced in age. The Lord had blessed him. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, now in this first section, this servant is unnamed. Many people believe it is indeed Eliezer because his name is mentioned a little later um, in the passage. However, one thing to note that Eliezer was last mentioned to us uh, in the story about 50 years ago. So Eliezer would have been well up above 50 because remember the Lord, uh, uh, Abraham at one point said when he was getting tired of waiting for God's promise, he says, Lord, let's just kind of cut to the chase here and just let Eliezer, who's the servant born in my house, let him be the one who becomes the child of promise. And God said, no, I'm going to bless you with your very own son, from yours and Sarah's relationship. So Eliezer has been a servant with um, Abraham for a very long time. Many people believe that it is indeed Eliezer. And it's interesting that Eliezer's name means uh, helper or servant. Now you can begin to see the parallels already to the, the Holy Spirit. What is the title of the Holy Spirit? The helper the parakletos, one called alongside to help. What is Eliezer's name, a servant or a helper? So Abraham says to this oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. This idea of putting your hand under the thigh. This was an ancient custom that described a solemn and a serious oath. Abraham was extremely concerned that Isaac not be married to a Canaanite bride, making his servant swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. The person binding himself put his hand under the thigh of the person to whom he was to be bound. 
as in he put his hand on the part that bore the mark of the circumcision, the sign of God's covenant. Our ideas of delicacy may revolt from the rite used on this occasion, but when the nature of the covenant is considered, of uh, which circumcision was the sign, we shall at once perceive that this rite could not be used without producing sentiments of reverence and godly fear, as the contracting party must know that the God of this covenant was a consuming fire." So remember, the Lord brought circumcision to Abraham, and he had Abraham circumcise his entire household. And so they understood this, and this was a sign of God's relationship to them and blessing upon them. And so when Abraham made his servant put his hand under his thigh and touch him in that way, it was not, as our minds might think, something that was perverse. It was something that was used to swear a solemn oath that you would keep your word before me and before God and that you would carry this thing out. And the servant said to him, verse 5, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land? And he says, beware that you do not take my son back. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son. From their very important thing there in verse 7, that God told this servant, I will send my angel before you and prepare the way. What a comfort it must have been to this servant before he went, before, as he was being sent, before he went, to know that God himself was going before him to prepare the way. Now, this journey that he was being sent back to the land of Abraham's family from where they were in Canaan to Mesopotamia by direct line would have been about 500 miles, but the, tra- the trade routes would have carried them kind of up and over, and if you follow that, it would have been closer to 900 miles. So now you're traveling 900 miles by camel to this place that Abraham is sending him, and If you do the calculations on that, you'll figure out that it's no less than a month's journey, probably closer to two months to make this journey. And he said, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So the servant is commissioned and sent out. Next, In verses 10 through 27, the servant goes out. So in verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So between verse 10 and 11, you have the passage of time of that one to two months, however long that journey took, And uh, the servant took the camels and the entourage and the servants and the riches and all those things and made the journey. Now in verse 11, he gets to his destination and he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. In these cultures, I don't know if any of you have ever traveled to the Middle East or even to parts of... Eastern Europe, these customs still exist where the culture shut down for the middle of the day. 
because it's the heat of the day, and then uh, the people who do manual labor who go out into the fields and do work, they work early in the morning until a certain point, then they stop, and then they pick it up later in the afternoon. And then the servants of the household would go out and get water in the mornings and in the evenings. And so this was the time of the day when the, the female servants would come out to draw water. Now, something that's important for us to know here, just to kind of set the scene in our minds, is this was not what you might think of as a well with maybe a stone wall around it and a little uh, crank with a rope or you let your bucket down and that kind of thing. These wells were hewn wells. These were like cisterns. And so as you approach the well, it would be like a giant spiral going down to a hole in the ground. And so they carved stairways and paths around to go down and you would easily be down 20 to 30, maybe 40 feet to get to the mouth of the well. And they would have to do that in order to get to the place that they could dig deep enough to to create water to hit water. So you would have to take your water jar, which in this scenario for their household would have been somewhere between three and five gallons. Now, just picture yourself, if you've ever picked up a five-gallon bucket filled with anything, you know how heavy it is. So let's just try to get your mind into the story here for a moment. So uh, the, the servants would come out and take their three to five gallon water jars, make the trek down that spiral to the mouth of the well, let their jar down, draw the water, pull it up, put it on their shoulder, come back out and head back into the city uh, wherever their house was. So that's sort of the setting as we head into this scenario. So the camels knelt down at the time when women would come out to draw water. Then he said, as he prayed, knowing that his master said, the Lord has sent my angel before you, and he's here at his master's uh, relative's land, and he's, he's, he's now contemplating, and this is a great study in understanding and determining God's will for our lives, but also as, you know, finding a, a bride in this case. And he said, Lord, God of my master, so the first thing we're struck with is he does what? He prays. He calls upon the name of the Lord. You know, he, he's, he's not there stressing and wringing his hands going, oh my gosh, how are we going to figure this out? How are we going to find this needle in a haystack? I have been sent on an impossible mission. But no, that's not the case, is it? He prays and he says, Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Now, if you will, this servant being a type of the Holy Spirit, we are told that the Holy Spirit does what for us in the book of Romans? He intercedes for us in groanings which cannot be uttered according to the will of God, doesn't he? So this servant is now interceding and he's praying and he's saying, Lord, give me success, show kindness to my master. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out and he probably saw them coming from the city out to the well. And he says, now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. And I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. We might think upon first glance as we read this that The servant is casting out impossible odds for God. 
But actually, he's not. He's looking at the normal situation of life. He knows that these ladies come out at night to draw water, and he's looking for a bride for his master's son, Isaac. And he's looking at the normal circumstances of life, and he says, Lord, let it be someone who's coming out who, who might be the one, and show me. Show me who that might be, Lord. Now, as I thought about this, I thought about you know, Gideon with his sign with the fleece from uh, Judges chapter 6. You may remember there, Judges 6, 36 through 40, where Gideon was having a lapse of faith, and he said, God, well, if you really want me to do this, then I'm going to lay out a literal fleece on the ground. And he said, um, if you're really going to save Israel by my hand, uh, then if there is dew only on the fleece and it's dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save me. And the next morning it was so. And then Gideon again tested the Lord. And he says, Lord, do not be angry with me, but maybe you could do it this way. Maybe you can make half the fleece wet and half the fleece dry just to convince me that this is what you want me to do. You see, the Lord was gracious with Gideon in that situation, but Gideon was, was just not believing that God was really speaking to him. But in this situation, with the servant as he is seeking the Lord, he's just saying, Lord, would you reveal her to me? Would you reveal her to me through these circumstances that are coming? And he says, if she even says, drink and I will also give your camels a drink, let her be the one. You see, for her to offer a drink to the servant, as he said, would you give me a drink, would have been a common courtesy. But for her to offer on her own, to take that water jar and make that trek uh, up and down that spiral into that well, let's just say that she had a three-gallon jar. The typical camel drinks about 25 gallons of water. How many trips would it take for her to serve one camel, let alone 10? We are looking at something like at least two hours of sweaty labor for someone who would offer to do this, and think about it, it would be extraordinary to go beyond just, hey, here's a drink, to let me take care of everybody. It's pretty amazing. And so for him to say to the Lord, Lord, if there be someone like that, that would be truly amazing. And so it happened before he had finished speaking. So he's praying. He's in the middle of his prayer. He's just praying to the Lord, God, you know, would you do this thing? You know why I'm here. You've sent your angel before me. And it happened before he had finished speaking, verse 15, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out. Now, what are the odds that the woman from Abraham's family, a direct descendant, would be the first one coming out of the city, out of her father's house that evening to be there, to be the one whom the servant would meet. Maybe now we begin to understand why the rabbis have a saying that with God there are no coincidences. And so think about this. Before the servant, think about God's providence. Before the servant sat down at that well and began to pray, that girl had probably already left her house with her water jar on her shoulder, headed to the destination to meet this servant. You see, God is divinely sovereign, isn't he? So often we get excited when God answers a prayer, when he does something, 
uh, that to us seems wonderful or miraculous, or we find this incredible answer to prayer. But do we ever stop to think about what God had to do to orchestrate all of the circumstances and the situations and the people to be at the right place at the right time, doing just the right thing at the right moment it needed to happen to meet that need? And that's what God is doing here in this situation. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Isaiah 65 verse 24 says, um, it shall come to pass before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. God's promise to hear our prayers So verse 16, now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her, and she went out to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And as the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher, test number one. So she said, drink, my Lord, and then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well, not walked, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all of his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Doesn't that seem almost humorous to read that? As he sat there watching her, he had just prayed this prayer a few moments beforehand. She comes out and this whole thing happens. It happens before his very eyes exactly as he had prayed. And he's kind of going, is this really happening? Lord, is this you? You know, sometimes the Lord has to hit us over the the head with a proverbial two by four, doesn't he, to get our attention? Because sometimes we're just kind of sitting there going, I prayed for an open door, the door opened, but now I'm saying, Lord, was it you who opened that door? God, did you do this thing? And he's wondering at the provision, at the generosity of God. What is most astonishing is that Rebecca volunteered to water his 10 camels, And so I just told you what would happen with having to go do all of that. And it says, one person kind of calculated this out here, and it said that she probably would have had to have made 80 to 100 descents into that well to get enough water to water all these camels. So it was when the camels had finished drinking and that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold And said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. Wow. How often... Do we, when we see an answer to prayer, and clearly this was a dramatic answer to prayer, how often do we stop and do what this servant did? Just stop and worship the Lord. And remember, we've defined the word worship here simply to mean that he bowed down to the ground, face to the ground. He got down on his knees and bowed down to the dirt to humble himself before God. 
he bowed down his head and he worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. You know, being the father of three daughters, uh, I had always prayed, at least for for Rachel and um, Gabriella, that, you know, they would walk with the Lord and that God would bring godly men to them and that, you know, what the Lord says as we raise our kids is that we, we want our kids, first of all, to become believers, second of all, hopefully to walk with the Lord, and third of all, to marry fellow believers. You know, God is pretty clear in his word that he prohibits, you know, believers from seeking out and marrying unbelievers. And so I remember that as my daughter Rachel began to be courted by this young man named Landon, and we had an opportunity to meet him for the first time. Uh, I had been praying, you know, Lord, what am I, I'd never been through this before. You know, do I carry my gun when I meet him? Do I have my uh, crocodile Dundee knife, you know, up my back? You know, how do we handle this situation? And so we sat down together and uh, had a long discussion. And it was so clear in the context of that meeting of that discussion, I'll never forget it. It was the Holy Spirit was so clear with me. This is the man for your daughter. And then later, it was many months later, we had an opportunity to go out to California and to meet him in his home environment and to meet his family and his parents. And I remember once again, as we were there that day around the island in the kitchen, all standing up and talking and his parents, it was easy to see, right? His parents loved the Lord. His dad had been a pastor, but had sort of retired from that and was doing something else but was actively leading men's Bible studies. And it was just easy to see as we were there fellowshipping with these people that our common bond was Christ. Our common bond was the Lord. And I remember we stopped at one point around that, that kitchen island and we began to pray together. And I remember tears came to my eyes and I, I was thinking about this, this moment, where it was just so clear that God was saying, this, this is a divine union. This is a union made in heaven. I'm putting these two people together. And I can only imagine, and I certainly had, I had a similar experience with my daughter Gabriella and, and PJ, her husband, and, and his family as well. A very, very similar experience that God was gracious with us. But I wonder, as this servant was going through this situation, what he was feeling in that moment as he just... God was bringing this whole thing to light before his eyes. And he said, as he worshiped, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham. Now consider that you're Rebecca over here and you've just done this thing, this, this thing that you think was just incredibly you know, gracious. It was just kind of hospitality. And she's watching this man in the middle of their conversation just drop to his knees and begin to worship the Lord and to utter these words. Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham. And surely she knew his name because families were tight. Family was important. Who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master as for me being on the way the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Let's not miss that phrase for me being on the way. You see, trusting God, having faith, sometimes does mean waiting on the Lord. 
until he speaks. But once he speaks, and in this case, the Lord spoke, right? The Lord spoke to Abraham. He spoke through Abraham to the servant. He sent an angel ahead. And once we know God has spoken, then he's told us to do something and to begin to move. Just as he did with Abraham. Remember in the beginning, the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, get out of your your family's house and your, your land and go to a place that I will show you. Just start going and I will lead you. You see, faith involves risk, and the risk, it's not like we think of risk where we stand up on a bridge and we put the bungee cord on and we think, I don't know if I want to do this, and then somebody comes along and pushes you and said, too late, you're going to take the plunge, and you go, ah, all the way down. It's not that way with the Lord. The risk with the Lord is what? What risk is there in trusting the Lord? You know what it is? It's our need to control things, isn't it? It's that God might do something the way I don't want it done. It's that God might do something that I'm not even sure I want. But let me try to help you recalibrate yourself this morning. We should be wanting what God wants, knowing that Father knows best. And so this situation is this servant has now been sent out on this journey of 900 miles and sent to this place and he gets there and he's praying and God does this amazing, miraculous thing. He says, I was on the way and the Lord led me, the Lord directed me, the Lord guided me like an arrow to the, to the house of my master's brethren. <clears throat> Boom, center of the bullseye. Listen, God is able to do these things, isn't he? And he will do these things, and he wants to do these things. The question is, for you and for me, will we trust him? Will we say, yes, Lord, and listen? Now, I also want to make just sort of a comment here about this thing that I would call a biblical worldview. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that phrase, but what I mean by that is simply this, that you and I, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, as children of the King, as people who believe that the Bible is the word of God. A biblical worldview means that I read and I understand and I know this book. Maybe I'm not a scholar. I'm not talking about being a theologian who teaches in a Bible college or a seminary. But we read this. This is God's word to us. This is his love letter to us. And we know it so well so that the word of God guides what I think. The word of God guides what I do. The word of God guides how I see a situation. Here's an easy one for you. Abortion. What does God's word say about that? It says that God is the creator and the author of life. God values life. God is the one who gives life and who takes life away. Therefore, when I am presented with what the world says about abortion, hey, we need to do this to protect the life of the mother, and we need to you know, give women the right to choose because we're robbing women of the right to choose what they want to do with their own body. And they should be able to abort their babies. And so we want to give them that freedom of choice. And we think the government should pay for it. I would say to you that is a direct slap in the face to God and a contradiction to the word of God. Therefore, my biblical worldview says, forgetting what politics says, I vote for candidates who support you know, against abortion, who are not for um, abortion. They're against it because this is God's view. And that's just one example, but now hopefully you can begin to see that we want a biblical worldview for everything that we think and everything that we do.
A biblical worldview will guide us and keep us safe in things like the choice of a spouse. Do I marry a believer or an unbeliever? As a believer, I have no choice. I need to marry only an unbeliever. And I don't want to, excuse me, a believer, but I don't want to just marry any old believer. I want to marry a believer who's a spirit-filled Christian, who's walking with God, who loves God, who is not a believer in profession only, but who is a believer in practice. And so we want the word of God to guide us. Such a God, of course, is great beyond our imaginings because he maintains all of life, involves himself in all events, and directs all things to their appointed end while rarely interrupting the natural order of life. You see, God wants to direct us in his ways. Are you willing to adopt a biblical worldview and allow God to lead you and to direct you. Well, number three here, the bride tells her family about the servant in verses 28 through 31. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists and he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, thus the man spoke to me that he went out to the man and there he stood by the camels at the well and he said to, uh, and he said to them, come in, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So Rebecca goes back and tells her family about this, remember, The servant had asked, do you have room? She said yes, and then she went home to confirm that what she said was was okay with her family. Uh, Laban was apparently the head of the house at that point and came out and said, come on in, and invited them. Then the next section here, the servant gives his testimony, is where he is invited into the house. So verse 32, the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. It was customary in this culture to first have the dinner and then to do business. But in this particular case, the servant, as they sat down to eat, said, I can't do this until we talk about what just happened here, about what God has done. We need to get this out on the table and to discuss it. Uh, Like every true servant of Christ, he put his master's business before his own ease or comfort, even before the question of necessary food. When a man begins to think more of his eating than of doing the will of God, he ceases to be a true-hearted minister of God. So he said, verse 34, I am Abraham's servant. It's interesting that the phrase, my master, is the refrain of this chapter. The word master occurs 22 times in this chapter. Eliezer did not aspire to any independence of Abraham or of Abraham's son. His thoughts were of his master. His words were in praise of his master, his deeds on behalf of his master. He was not his own, own, but the bondservant of another. This is also our position. You see the servant again being a type of the Holy Spirit. He points to the son and he does the bidding of his master who is the father. 
The Lord has blessed my master greatly, verse 35, and he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, what if the woman doesn't want to follow? But he said, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and I said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw the water and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink and I will draw from your camp for your camels also. Now consider the ears of Rebecca's family as they are hearing this story told to them for the first time. And by the way, Rebecca's also hearing it for the first time. Okay? Please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And if she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also, let her be the woman before the Lord, before whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder. And she said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her, and I said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed my head and I worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Wow. As they hear this story for the first time and Rebecca hears it for the first time and he tells it back and they kind of go, Wow, and, and Rebecca's probably there nodding her head. Wow, that's exactly what happened. I came out and I did those things. And she's probably thinking, I don't even know why I did those things. I just did them. It was just in my heart. And you can begin to see that God had orchestrated everything down to the time that she came, that she was the first one, that she was of Nahor's house. Everything divinely orchestrated by God. Now in this next section here, the servant takes the bride to the husband. Verse 49, 49, now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. If this is indeed a type of the Holy Spirit, and I believe this servant is, notice what he's doing. He's spoken on behalf of his master, He's, he's given testimony to God. And as he's done this, he now comes to the point of saying, now it's the time of decision. You see, sometimes we like to think 
things over. We like to mull them over and take them out for weeks and days and months and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not against praying and waiting on the Lord in any stretch of the imagination. However, the Holy Spirit does often say, now is the time, today is the day. I remember when I was talking with Pastor Derek as he was considering going back to Las Vegas and was talking with myself in Virginia about taking over the church. And I was hesitating. I wasn't totally on board with it yet. I wasn't fully convinced. And one day he said to me, and I, it sounds an awful lot like the voice of this servant. He said, look, I need a decision by tomorrow. And we'd, I'd already had a couple of weeks. He said, I need to know because if it's not you, I got to start looking for somebody else. So I, I need a decision. And the Holy Spirit wants us to make decisions. He wants us to be decisive about the things of God. We shouldn't be debating if we're going to obey God. That, that, that shouldn't even be something we need to pray about. If there's something clear in obeying the Lord, then we need to be, uh, make haste to obey the Lord. And so this servant has now revealed this story to the family. And I mean, it's been so clear as they're all sitting there listening. Now, if you will deal kindly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me. So I'll know. As he says this, he represented the master, not himself. Eliezer is a wonderful example of the master's faithful messenger. He told them that his master was great. He told them his master's son was the heir. He wanted one who would leave her old home and live with the master's son in a new home. And he pressed for a decision. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. They were convinced in those few moments that obviously the Lord was involved in this situation. Now think about it. They're gonna give their daughter to a complete stranger who also happens to be family and send her 900 miles away to be married and basically just give her away and not know if they're ever gonna see her again. You see, there's, a, there's an amount of faith on the other side, isn't there? there? There is a trust in the Lord that they have to bring to the table. This isn't just all of the faith and the trust and the speaking of God and orchestrating of things on the side of Abraham and his servant. It's also on the side of those who are hearing and those who are receiving what God has done. And they say, here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. So notice that they attribute what the servant has said to the Lord. The Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord again, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold, and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah, and they also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night, and they arose in the morning, and they said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10, and after that she may go. We, we understand that. They're like, well, wait a minute, you just kind of came into town yesterday, now you want to leave this morning, hey, give us a little time to process this, right? And he says, do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. You've already given her to us, don't hold us back. So they said, well, 
Let's call the young woman and ask her what she wants to do. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca with her, their, their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, <clears throat> may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. So they send her away, they obey the Lord. Even though it was very hard, it was a real challenge for them to let go. But if we are going to obey the Lord, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, when the word of God demands it, it means sacrifice on our part, doesn't it? It means that we have to give things up in order to follow God. And they had to do that. They had to give up things. Rebecca had to give up things to follow God. Think of the faith that Rebecca is exercising here. She's being obedient to her family. She's being obedient to the servant. And she's saying, yes, I'll go. I'll get on one of those camels and travel 900 miles to a place I don't even know about, that I've never even left my own homeland, most likely. And I will go and do this thing. I'll become somebody else's bride. Now, Rebecca, we believe, was also around 40 years of age, so she was about the same age as Isaac. And then uh, the bride goes to meet her husband. Then Rebecca and her maids arose, verse 61, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Now, uh, again, there's a big gap between 61 and 62. There's the journey of the 900 miles back. Then in verse 62, now Isaac came from the way of Behir Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. You got to appreciate that he was a godly man who was seeking the Lord. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. This was the first mention of Isaac since he uh, left the top of Mount Moriah in Genesis twenty-two nineteen, We see nothing of Isaac from the time of his rescue from death, which might be thought of as symbolic of resurrection, to the time he was united with his bride. So again, a type of the Holy Spirit here, talking about now how Isaac becomes a type of Christ, and how from the time that he left Mount Moriah, until now when he receives his bride. It's the first time we're hearing about him. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. This covering with a veil signified chastity, modesty, and submission. And this was how Rebecca wanted to meet the man that she was going to marry. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So he recounted that whole story. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. It's interesting that 
You know, in our society today, when people get married, we go through this process of courtship and dating and all of that. But, you know, in this culture, in this society, and even in much of the world today, there is still arranged marriages. In fact, when we get back together as a church someday, uh, most of you know um, Alexander and Priscilla. You may not know that their marriage was arranged. And like this, they didn't know each other until they got married. And uh, Alexander's talked to me about this many times. I love hearing their story. And I would encourage you to talk to them and see how God has led them over these many years. But here, as God did all these things, you see, they didn't need to know that they, they, that they met all of the points of compatibility on one of the dating sites. That they, they, you know, they just knew that God had prepared them for each other and that God had led them together. You see, they trusted God more than Match.com or eHarmony.com or one of those things, right? They trusted that God was orchestrating their life and leading them together. In closing, in all of this, we see the coming together of Isaac and Rebekah as a remarkable picture of the coming together of Jesus and his people. A father desired a bride for his son. A son was accounted as dead and raised from the dead. A nameless servant was sent forth to get a bride for the son. The servant's name was actually Eliezer, meaning God of help or helper. The lovely bride was divinely met, chosen and called, and then lavished with gifts. She was trusted to the care of the servant until she met the bridegroom. The way Isaac and Rebekah came to each other is also instructive. They served and sought God. Isaac meditated in the field before he met his bride. And God brought them together. They obviously were more concerned with the will of God than with the way of modern thinking as it makes, makes love purely a matter of feeling and emotion. We may summarize the pictures of Isaac, Rebekah, Jesus, and the church in the following manner. Both Rebekah and the church we were chosen for marriage before we knew it. Uh, it was necessary for the accomplishment of God's eternal purposes. Ephesians 3 talks about how God was working behind the scenes since before the foundation of the earth. We were destined to share in the glory of the Son. We learned of the Son through his representative, the Holy Spirit. We must leave uh, everything behind with joy so that we can be with the Son we are loved and cared for by the Son as we come into the Son's presence. Both Isaac and Jesus were promised before their coming. They finally appeared at the appointed time. They were both conceived miraculously. They were given a special name before they were born. They were offered up in a sacrifice by their father. They were brought back from the dead by their father, by God. They uh, were head of a great company to bless many people. They prepared a table for their bride, and they had a ministry of prayer until they were united with their bride. Remember, Jesus now, according to the book of Hebrews, ever lives to make intercession for us at the right hand of God the Father. You see, God guides if we're willing to follow. God guides if we're willing to trust and if we're willing to trust in the same way that Isaac and the servant and Rebecca and her family all had to trust God and to trust God's leading, 
then God will bless us as we trust him. He will bless us as we follow him. He will bless us as we obey him. So let me encourage you to follow the Lord, to worship the Lord, to trust the Lord, and to make your obedience and your following instant, and to be faithful and true as you follow him. You see, God loves us, and he does guide, and he does bless. Today, just as much as he did on that day, in that time, with Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah. Amen. Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for being our God and our Father. Thank you, Lord, for how you, you bless us beyond measure. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that we would just learn what it means to trust you and to follow you. Perhaps there are things that you've been speaking to us about or ministering to us that we need to take to heart today as we've been listening. Maybe there are decisions that we need to make, decisions to, to trust and to follow, decisions to leave things behind, to forsake the old and to embrace the new. Whatever it might be, we trust that you are leading us, that you have sent your servant before us, and that you have prepared the way. Lord, help us to be trusting of you, who is the only one who is trustworthy. Lord, we love you and we bless you. If there be any among us today, Lord, who, who don't know you, who've never come into this loving, trusting relationship with you, may today be the day that they say, yes, Lord, I come. I turn from myself and from my sins that I might follow you. Lord, I want to follow a God like that, a God who leads like this, a God who provides like that. May it be uh, true to us and even more so as we follow you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.